Well, good morning, Peachtree, and to everyone who is watching this message this morning. I want to begin today by expressing our gratitude to each and every one of you for participating and joining us online and for sharing in this time where we get to gather around God's Word. This is an extraordinary moment in our country when our president and the first lady are sick, and I want to extend my prayers and blessings to them and to all of our leaders who are attempting to help us to navigate through these unprecedented and difficult times. This week was not one of the high points in American politics. I don't know if you watched the debate on Tuesday night between these two figures together. And in the midst of this debate, one of the more shocking statistics to me was the fact that not any particular candidate, but that the debate itself received an 83% disapproval rating. In other words, we thought that this was a terrible national conversation. And I loved some of the headlines that followed up on these and said this, it's like the worst fight your uncles have ever had at Thanksgiving. No one wins race to the bottom debate. And why are there so many more days left in 2020? That last one I think is in the form of a prayer. How long, oh Lord, will we have to endure and to get through this? But in this season, there's something different about the contentiousness and the disunity and the disharmony of what's going on in this moment in time in American politics and in our society. An amazing pastor and civil rights leader, this man by the name of John Perkins, once stood up before a group of people recently and said, why is it that in this generation we are attempting to turn hate into an asset? For you see, today we are experiencing levels of contempt in our culture that seem to be unprecedented. I try to press upon my own children that it hasn't always been like this before, not just in politics, but in our society. And it's for me, the words of Mother Teresa that ring so true here in the moment like this, when she says it like this, if we have no peace, it is because we have forgotten that we belong to each other. Well, I want to remind us, not just today, but over the course of the next couple of months, marching all the way up to Christmas, of how much we really do belong to one another, need one another. And I think that the only way to discover that is not through an expression of sentiment of why can't we all just get along, but the hard reality that we do belong to one another. And the only way that we can know that is by recognizing that we are one, that we belong to Almighty God. And so for the next couple of months, we're gonna walk through an ancient letter. It's the book of Ephesians. And the point of Ephesians is to be able to discover the harmony and the unity that can be found in moments of hostility. And so for the next eight weeks, we're gonna be walking through a series of messages. The book of Ephesians is divided into two parts. It's talking about finding peace or unity, and then how do you keep that peace or that harmony or that unity? I feel so strongly about this particular letter that starting this summer, I began to memorize the book of Ephesians. It takes over 20 minutes to recite it in one setting and to say it out loud. I wanted this letter from God's word penned by the Apostle Paul 
to reverberate and echo around within the chambers of my own soul and for us to be able to discover anew the passion that can be found in our belovedness, in the fact that we belong to one another because we belong to God. And so after a couple of pleasantries and his customary greeting of grace and peace to you from God who is our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us from the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace that he has freely given in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with his glorious riches that he has lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything according to the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you, you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. That, my friends, is one long run-on sentence to kick off the book of Ephesians. The Apostle Paul would not have gotten a very good grade from his grammar teacher in eighth grade. She would have told him to break down that sentence into little segments so that we might digest it. But Paul has this outburst, this outpouring of a blessing. Technically, it says at the very beginning there, blessed be, blessed be, blessed be. It repeats over and over again, three times in the first part of that phrase, blessing, blessing, blessing. In fact, Paul begins with what typically goes at the end. He begins with the blessing. I used to live in the great state of Texas and when I was down in college in South Texas at Trinity University in San Antonio, about the halfway stop between San Antonio and Waco was Austin, and there was this fantastic gourmet ice cream shop called Amy's Ice Cream. And I would always pull over on my way home or on my way back to school and get a scoop of Amy's delicious ice cream. Things like Belgian chocolate Oreo or a bourbon dark chocolate with macadamia nut, or a Tahitian vanilla with toffee chips. Oh my goodness, every single little creation, just a burst of God's goodness and God's love for each and every one of us. 
they had a slogan at Amy's Ice Cream, and I wish I'd bought one of the t-shirts they used to have at the time and still had it, and the t-shirt would say, life is uncertain, eat dessert first. In other words, at Amy's, their theology is begin with the ending that you don't have to wait. And this is exactly what the Apostle Paul has done. He is taking what we think of a benediction or a blessing, something that would be at the very end, and he has moved it all the way to the front. He starts with the end in mind. This is exactly what his master and Lord Jesus did in the Sermon on the Mount, where he starts with the Beatitudes. Blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you. Jesus begins with that blessing, and so does the Apostle Paul. In other words, we need to be the kind of people that not only begin with the end in mind, but recognize that the end is brought to the present and that what has been done for us is absolutely true. And what is it in this blessing, this run-on sentence that the Apostle Paul says? He says a lot, but I think it's three main things. That we have been chosen by the Father, that we have been redeemed by the Son, and we have been marked by the Spirit. First, let's talk about how we are chosen by the Father. After the Paul begins by saying, praise be or blessed be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the spiritual realms or the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, for we are chosen in him to be holy and blameless that in love we have been adopted, claimed. This is the primary image that the Apostle Paul uses to talk about our chosenness. We know what it means to be rejected. The question is, do we know what it means to be elected? I tell you, when I moved to Atlanta, it was not that long after being here that you as a community had opened the new Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And I got to go to the first college football game, sat in that seat for the first time. It was a Chick-fil-A bowl. And while I was there, before the game began, uh, they did something that they never used to do in Southern California when I would go to football games. They began the game with a prayer. And not just kind of some bland Unitarian prayer that was seemingly trying to not offend anybody. It was this heartfelt, outpouring prayer. And the person who gave that prayer is none other than Atlanta's own EJ or Ernie Johnson. I didn't know anything about Ernie other than the fact that he was a great sportscaster. But after that prayer, I started to do some digging and discovered that he had a book that was out that was called Unscripted and began to read about him and discover the incredible richness of the Christian faith in his own life. And he tells the story of a time when they were planning on adopting a little girl and that his wife was in Romania to be able to go and to discover the newest member of what their family was gonna be like. And yet she called home in tears one day to her husband who was still here in the States helping to take care of the rest of the family. And she said that she had met this young boy about three years old who had significant health challenges. And she said to him through her tears over the phone, I just keep imagining what the rest of his life is gonna be like if no one claims him, if no one takes him home. And so Ernie said to his wife, then bring 
him home to us. Through a convoluted process of everything having to do with bribes and bureaucratic red tape, she navigated all of that to bring Michael home. And through the decades, here's a picture of Ernie's family with Michael on the right-hand side there. He's struggled with significant health challenges in his wheelchair. And EJ says, we don't want any fanfare. We don't want any recognition. We believe that the heart of God is in adoption and that we have only done what he has done for us. You and I, in the midst of our paralysis and in our pain and our lostness, need to recognize that the Lord, the God, the maker of heaven and earth, chooses us. It is not so much that we are born into the Christian family as we are adopted. You and I have been chosen. We have a destiny in God's great universe. And if you've never experienced that phrase of God looking at you, and saying, bring her home, bring him home, welcome home. That is exactly what the gospel is all about. And so we begin at the blessing, and the first part of that blessing is that you and I have been chosen by the Father, and the second part of that blessing is that we have been redeemed by the Son. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, the Apostle Paul says. How is God going to make everything right? And the one that he has freely given and the one he loves, he pays the price. The word redemption in the New Testament is a term to paying a bounty so that someone might be able to be forgiven and to be made whole. When I was learning how to drive, our family had an early 80s Buick LeSabre. Oh, this was a piece of machinery. I used to call it the land yacht because it had this huge V8 engine in it. And it was so heavy that when it had just rained somewhere, you, I mean, you were just going to slide all over the road. And when you mashed down on the accelerator, which had no nuance to it, it was either go, 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 or nothing at all. And when you mashed down on the accelerator, the car would roar to life, lift upwards, and then go forwards. This, this car was a remarkable beast, and it was made out of steel. It was strong. I begged my mother when my sister started learning how to drive. I begged my mother when I was about 13 years old to let me start to learn to drive, to which, because I kept cajoling her and I wouldn't leave her alone, she agreed to let me drive. We lived on this tiny little street that was a cul-de-sac, so we weren't worried about seeing any other cars. And so she allowed me to hop in the front seat and I moved the seat up. And I even remember putting my arm kind of like grown-ups do and my hand on the wheel. And I'm looking over my shoulder as I drive out the driveway. I go straight out the driveway just like it's perfect, no problem at all. There's just this little difference between the R and the D on the dashboard. That's a pretty significant difference that I was not like fully in tune with at the age of 13 years old. And I mashed down on that accelerator to go forward. But instead of going forward, I lurched backwards, 
popped up on the edge of the curve and boom, right into a tree. Oh, I thought I was in so much deep yogurt. Dad was coming home that night and I remember kind of the heavy, dark cloud that was hanging above my mood as we sat down at the dinner table. I was even ashamed to look at him. And I thought he was going to fuss at me or get mad at me. But instead, my dad said, I hope you've learned that a car is something that you have to be really responsible for and that your mother and I are glad that you're okay. That was it. He never said another word about it. But you know what he did with his actions? He took mom and his hard-earned money, and they replaced that bumper. I was 13 years old. There was no way I was going to be able to afford to fix that, to repair it. I couldn't pull it back into place. There was nothing that I could do. It was a price that I couldn't pay, and yet he gladly paid for it. Tim Keller talks about how the nature of sin is such as that Jesus had to die for us, to pay the sacrifice for us, but it is also in the nature of his love that he was glad to die for us. One of the phrases that repeats over and over again in this run-on sentence, this blessing is, according to his pleasure, according to his good pleasure, over and over again, we see the joy of God, even in the midst of our redemption, even in the midst of the sacrifice that he has to pay for us. Oh, it's remarkable to consider that God is willing to pay such a price but it's out of his glorious riches that he has lavished on us. Yes, that is what God will do for you and me. He will make it whole. This was my first car in terms of what I drove around when I was later legal to be driving on the streets. And every once in a while I would look at that bumper and see that it was still shiny and say that someone paid a price so that I could have not just that car, but that the car was made whole. You and I have been chosen by the Father. We have been redeemed by the Son, Jesus Christ. And the other part of the blessing that's at the beginning is that you and I have been marked by the Spirit And when you believed, Paul said, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. What is a seal? A seal back then was the same thing that it is that you might see on a letter today. A seal was to keep the contents inside. A seal was the mark of authenticity. A seal was to tell you who it was not just officially, but really from. When you and I believe, when we put our faith and our trust in God, something changes within us. This indwelling of the Holy Spirit and that our lives are marked with the seal that is God's presence. And that you and I don't belong to ourselves anymore. We bear another's name. 
One of the greatest modern expressions of this comes from the Pixar classic set of movies, Toy Story. And in that, there's a boy by the name of Andy who has a beloved toy by the name of Woody. And one of the great icons of understanding what it means to belong, to be loved, is the fact that on the bottom of Woody's boot, Andy has written his name. That Woody doesn't belong to himself, that he belongs to another, that he is claimed, he is called by another. This is so much of the identity of the story of of these great tales. And there's all four of the movies. And by the time you fast forward to the fourth movie, the fourth installment, that there's another toy, a toy by the name of Forky, who belongs to Bonnie. And Woody now belongs to Bonnie as well, because Andy is all grown up. And Bonnie loves this little trash that's turned into a treasure. And on the bottom of... Forky's feet, this creation that Bonnie made on the first day of school when she was scared. Bonnie has written her name. And what happens in this movie, in the culmination of all the masterful storytelling, is that Woody discovers that his life's purpose going forward is going to be taking lost toys and making sure that they have a home, that they have a friend, And so Woody spends the rest of his days helping to unite toys with people who need an expression of their love. Woody is even willing to do this at the cost of his own wholeness, his own voice, his voice box as a classic toy, which is one of the indications that he is special. He lays that down so that others might have a chance to be loved. You and I bear another's name. You see, the most remarkable thing to me about this opening salvo of this blessing is that over and over again, in some form or fashion, and it's so repetitive in English, we translate it in different ways, but over and over again, it keeps saying, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. If my memory serves me correctly, that in these initial 11 verses, I think it says in Christ like 15 times. In 15 different ways, your life has been marked with a seal. And it says in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. That is who you and I truly are. Began today by talking about how can we start the journey of finding peace, finding unity. And I'm here to tell you today that it's the beginning of that discovery is found not in anything, something that we do, but in something that was done for us. And so I want you to recognize these three verbs that come to us from the blessing at the beginning. They are all in the past tense. They are all things that have been done for you, not things that you do for yourself. Chosen, redeemed, marked. This is the foundational truth that will be the cornerstone of whether or not we will truly figure out whether we belong to one another and whether or not we will weaponize hate or turn it into an asset or discover a sense of God's peace, 
God's wholeness, the unity and the harmony that I believe that can only be found on the other side of the gospel. Maybe for you today, the peace is not just a need for something that's out there in the world of what you see in the news. Maybe the peace that you need is peace within your own heart, your own soul. And so I ask, I ask you, do you know that you have been chosen, redeemed, and marked? And when you believe, you will truly be marked until you become God's possession and he brings you home. Let's pray. Almighty and loving Father, I thank you for this beautiful run-on sentence and the fact that you don't hold us in suspense, but at the very beginning of this letter, you tell us what you have done in the riches of your glorious grace for each and every one of us. Thank you, God, for your faithfulness. And that even when we have the lowest of disapproval ratings in the way that we treat one another and are living in this world, I pray, God, that you will give us a sense of your peace. For anyone here, God, who doesn't just know the words, but deep within the marrow of their soul, that they are chosen, redeemed, and marked. I pray that you will impress that upon us and that we might discover that we are truly in you. And Lord, for the person who needs to take that step forward, that movement towards trusting you and faithfulness, I ask God that they would surrender their heart to you and open up to the possibilities of being made new. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.